I'd like to welcome all of the people who have just arrived, the new six-week yogis, and I'd like to encourage those of us who've been here for six weeks already that it's wonderful that we've all stayed. Uh, (laughs) So it's a kind of transition that we're all going through, and hopefully uh, over the next few days it'll all kind of gel into another community of people that are deep and close with each other. It's not so easy for that transition to happen because we feel so close with the other people uh, and they disappear. So I wanted to do a talk tonight that could relate uh, somewhat to people just starting to sit and people that have been here for six weeks. So I'm talking about the reacting mind since it's so universal (laughs) in its nature. <clears throat> the other title for this Entangling the Tangles. There was a celestial being that came to the Buddha in the nighttime, and this celestial being asked the Buddha this question <clears throat> Tangled within, tangled without, creatures are tangled in tangles. And so I ask you, Gotoma, who can untangle this tangle? And the Buddha answered, a wise person of stable virtue, developing mind and wisdom, a prudent and ardent practitioner, he or she can untangle this tangle. Those whose desire and aversion and ignorance are cleansed away. They have untangled this tangle. This this celestial being or deity came to the Buddha uh, when he was experiencing doubt. And so he asked the question, with all the living beings, in this world that are tangled within and tangled without, who is capable of disentangling themselves? What are these tangles? Tangles are the whole network of craving, attachment, aversion, delusion. And it's said in this question that the tangles are like the interwoven foliage of like ferns or bamboo. Living in Honolulu, there's a bamboo forest right about 10 minutes out of the city, up a mountain. And I love to go there because uh, even though bamboo is a grass, and the grass, you know, coming from New England is quite uh, small. But the bamboo grows really tall and thick in this particular bamboo forest. There are places where it's, it's just like um, this metaphor. It's totally dark and it's so interwoven one can't even get through or walk through places. Uh, and it's very easy if you go in too deep to get lost in the tangles. So all living beings are entangled by this 
intertwined like bamboo or fern, a tangle of craving. Who can untangle these tangles? A wise person. The Buddha said that a wise person, by developing virtue, sila, morality, conscious conduct, by developing concentration, by developing understanding or wisdom, uh, that we can untangle the tangle. You and I can untangle the tangle. Whenever we experience pure mindfulness, whenever we experience pure exploration in any moment, we're seeing clearly in that moment. And in that moment, there's no attachment, no aversion, no delusion. There's no tangles happening. And in our heart, usually there'll be such a feeling of peace. And there'll be an understanding that that moment, even if it's just a moment, in that moment we're free. Usually we'll feel at home in that moment. And there's such a power, you know, such an incredible power to free us, this pure awareness or mindfulness, because whenever that's there, there's no possibility when we see clearly uh, for aversion to be there or for attachment or delusion. And this purity of awareness will actually purify whatever is appearing in our experience. And that's really important. When the purity of awareness is there, it actually purifies whatever is happening in our moment-to-moment experience. Therefore, it doesn't matter when mindfulness is there, whatever is happening. Because what matters is the mindfulness, not the experience. So this purity of awareness or freedom is the heart of our practice. It's when we feel disentangled. It's when we see that possibility of freedom. And being really at home, centered in awareness in this world. As most of you know, there are many levels of depth to this mindfulness, to this purity. When we feel at home, we often make a judgment about our practice that that's good practice. When we feel in balance, when we see clearly, it's sometimes helpful to see that as a peak experience. It's when the awareness isn't identified It is purifying whatever we're experiencing because we're not caught or entangled in what's happening. Usually there's a deep acceptance of what's happening. There's a non-judgmental awareness or observation. And this space in the mind, this purity of awareness, is what makes the space for the tangles to become visible. This purity is cleansing and it makes space for karmic knots to appear. Wherever we still have any suffering, wherever we still have work to do, this uh, mindfulness is what will 
rub against that and make it visible. When the tangles appear, and when we become identified or lost in them, it's like we're in that dark bamboo forest. And we often make a judgment about the practice at this point, that that's bad practice. This judgment of whenever our work to do appears, this judgment of the tangles appearing, is the biggest obstacle in practice. We think that the tangles shouldn't be there. And it's important to ask ourselves, well, what is our relationship to the tangles becoming visible? The tangles are the attachment, the aversion, the delusion. Most of us have a very deep intention to understand our life, or we wouldn't be here. Or we might have a very deep intention to be equanimous, or we may want we very much want to be interested in our experience. And it's important to ask ourselves, what is it that we're interested in? If we're only interested when we're seeing clearly, or when we judge our practice as good, when the mindfulness is really pure, or when mindfulness comes into balance, then whenever the tangles become visible, it can often lead to despair. You know, my practice isn't going well. You know, or we have doubt. <clears throat> and that's really just taking the tangles personally. You know, it's just at that moment, not seeing clearly that they're just tangles. They're not me or I or mine. Uh, but they can make for a bad hair day. (laughs) So the idea is to become interested in the tangles themselves. You know, that's something to be worthy of interest because they're what free us. You know, that them becoming visible and then opening to them is what liberate, is how liberation happens. So the wanting mind, or the fearful mind, the aversive mind, the deluded mind, they're all our teachers. And they'll be your teachers (laughs) until you become fully enlightened. They teach us how to work skillfully with aversion, attachment, delusion. Whenever we hear the teachings, we tend to want to get rid of these tangles And when we want to get rid of them, that means we're identified with them. And that's just adding more tangling on to the tangles. What we need to do is to learn to see the tangles clearly, and then to see if we can experience them. To experience the wanting mind, and see if we can not identify with it, let it come and go, just as it is or experience the not wanting mind. And when we can experience aversion or attachment and not identify with them, they're no longer tangles. They're only a problem when we're identified with them. They're not a problem otherwise. 
It's simple, but it's not so easy to do. It's so easy to identify with them. (laughs) That's our conditioning. In this winter, I decided to do something that I knew would be very difficult for me and probably was maybe a little bit of a jump. I took a weightlifting class. (laughs) And for those of you who know me, it was a jump. And um, this place was probably not the best place because it was a kind of macho, jock-like, you know, really intense uh, situation. But they had a program for people with bad backs, so I thought it was a good idea. And the trainer was very um, deflating and, I don't know, macho. (laughs) And so during the class, she'd have other people in the class help spot you when one was lifting the weights. And there's a very specific way to lift the weights in this class so that you don't hurt your back. At some point, you know, there was somebody spotting me and I'm doing this thing and this woman (laughs) just started yelling at the top of her lungs. I mean, it just echoed in, you know, the walls. Everybody could hear it. She said, Michelle cannot possibly hold in her abdomen muscles when she does this exercise. This is screaming it. Michelle can't possibly hold in her butt muscles. She can't hold in her abdomen muscles. All she can possibly hope for is to find her lats. (laughs) I mean, she was screaming this over and over, and it was so deflating. And everybody takes it really seriously. I mean, you know, it's like, "Mm." and I'm like, what lats? Could you just tell me where they are again, please? <laughs> it, it wasn't really, it was hard for me to put it mildly. So she, said, she just kept yelling and yelling, and I finally just threw the weight down. And I said, this is too hard. It's too hard for me. I can't do this. It's too hard. And uh, she just, <laughs> she stopped and she said, Michelle, this is hard for everybody. Uh, in fact, it's harder for the people in the class. Most everyone in the class had been there for a year, except for me. I was new. And she said it was much harder for them than it was for me because she didn't expect much from me. <laughs> and she expected a lot from everybody else. <laughs> so I decided... I didn't believe her. I didn't believe it was harder for them. You know, it just it was impossible for me to believe it. So I went around to every single person in the class. Right at that moment, I went, is this harder for you than it is for me? You know, and believe it or not, every single person said yes. You know, it amazed me. I was just totally in this idea that it was only hard for me. Uh, and it's really interesting when you think of the practice and just, if you once in a while just look out at everybody, if you think it's only hard for you, you know. <laughs> it's really hard for everybody. <laughs> Untangling the tangle, and the tangles is really hard, you know, and you'll see people come back, they do it again, they do it again, they do it again. It's like there are deep roots aversion, attachment, and very deep roots. And sometimes as you go on, you actually face them on a much more intense level. Uh, when one learns how to maneuver through the territories, but they also um, reveal themselves uh, more uh, fully as we get more aware. 
acceptance, acceptance that they appear is the only way that we become free. It's the only way that we become liberated. Seeing clearly is simple, um, but we can't see ahead. And all we can do is keep going with the practice. And you know, I say that a lot, you know, keep going, keep going. But it's hard to keep going sometimes. Uh, It's important to try not to give up. And it's important to not to try too hard. And all we can do is live through another moment. You know, it's just we live through another moment. We live through another moment. One of the things that I think happens if you've practiced over time is that one starts to learn how to maneuver through the difficult landscapes uh, with more ease. I went up to this bamboo forest that I was talking about in Honolulu um, this winter or spring, and I decided to take a trail that I, I didn't know. It was an unknown trail, and I thought it was a trail, but it turned out not to be a trail, but we had gone too far down the trail <laughs> before I realized it wasn't a trail. I, would, I took a friend with me, and she didn't know that I was lost. Uh, so we're going along, and I, at first, Um, I saw that the trail ended, and then there were some footprints, and then the footprints disappeared, and it became totally dark. It was so thick, even in the middle of the day. It was totally dark, and it lasted so long, and I was lost. And a couple of times I turned around to my friend, and I said, don't panic. And she said, why would I panic? (laughs) I thought, oh yeah, don't tell her, we're fine. And finally, I saw this light coming down. You know, that's how I knew we were getting where I thought we were going. Uh, And what was interesting to me is that on the way back, that amount of time that I spent in that dark forest seemed so much shorter than on the way through. On the way through for the first time, it seemed endless, and I didn't think we'd ever get through it. And on the way back, it was so short. It was still hard to maneuver through it, and it was difficult. But the whole experience had changed. And I think of that just if you took the experience of boredom. You know, as we go along, we might think, well, boredom should happen less. But actually, if you look at it closely, what happens is that our resistance to the experience of boredom gets less. And so that when the boredom comes up, you might even experience it more fully. You know, that you'll have more acceptance of it. There's less resistance to it. One goes through it with more ease, uh, but it might be more intense than the time before. With, with, With more mindfulness and more detachment, we actually are able to experience whatever's happening more fully. We learn to move, maneuver through the difficult times, the difficult times being when we're identified with the tangles. And we learn to maneuver through the light times, the peak experiences, when we 
are not identified with our experience and when the awareness feels free. And over and over again we go through joy or fear or vulnerability or contentment or aversion. And the practice is not just about the light times or the peak experiences. And the practice is not just about the difficult times, the times where we're identified. It's really about learning to open more and more to the full range of what's possible to experience as human beings, you know, to deeply experience our life with more and more understanding. When the mind is reacting to whatever's happening in the present moment, that's a knot, that's a tangle. And the reacting remembering is that, that whenever we want something to be happening that isn't happening, or we don't want something to happen that's happening. Untangling the tangle is really understanding how the reactive mind happens. The Buddha taught that with each moment of consciousness, and we have no control over this, that with each moment of consciousness, there's a corresponding pleasant or unpleasant or neutral feeling that happens. It's like life is a stream of change, and the stream of change is this unpredictable flow of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral over and over. You know the song, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream, merrily, 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 merrily. It's merry until the reacting mind <laughs> happens. You know, you're, we just flow along. You're rowing the boat, <laughs> minding your own business, <laughs> and then suddenly aversion is happening, and that aversion is a contraction, and there's suffering. Or we're just going down the stream merrily, merrily, and then attachment happens, and we're suffering. The reason that that suffering is because life is a flow of change, and when we get attached to pleasure, or we push away unpleasant, it stops that flow and we're no longer in the truth of things. And that it's so painful being out of that flow of life as it is. It's so painful, the pushing away and the wanting or the withdrawing from experience is when we feel separate and in pain. It's when we're not aware that the reacting mind is happening, that we're suffering. Remember that um, saying by the Buddha, tangled within or tangled without. The source of these tangles that I'm talking about right now is within. The unpleasant, pleasant, or neutral feeling happens within ourselves. Uh, and when we react to it, we suffer. We also get tangled without. Uh, whenever there's a moment of hearing, or seeing, or tasting, or touching, or smelling, or thinking, and we're not seeing clearly, we get attached or aversive to the object of 
these sense doors <clears throat> and not being aware of any reaction we have to the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feeling associated with the sound or the sight or the smell or the taste or the thought is getting tangled without. <clears throat> when we don't see clearly, we might get identified with a pleasant fantasy. That's easy enough. Or we might get attached to wanting something pleasant for lunch. Or we might get attached to a pleasant person. Or we might get aversive to some pain in the body or an unpleasant psychological pattern that we don't want to appear. There's so many ways that we get entangled. Wanting can take so many forms. We might want that wonderful weather that we had in October. <laughs> I thought today, well, those people that left for the first six weeks sure got out of here in the nick of time. <laughs> we might want a sweet sitting, or we might want to understand. We might want to be equanimous or to see clearly. Wanting can be very lofty. You know, it can be very something very noble, or it can be very gross and mundane. And I think that you'll experience that range here of just getting so attached to something so gross or something so subtle. But it doesn't matter. You know, the experience is still the same. It's, and that's why I love the Buddha's teaching, because whether we're attached to something really gross or really subtle, it's still very simple. It's just wanting, and that's, it's clearly being able to open to that experience that matters. And then there's the other side of the coin, the aversion, and that can take so many forms. I don't want to be bored, you know, I don't want to be stuck in the practice. You know, I've been in the same place here for days. You know, how often do we feel like that? When's it going to move? I actually have that experience right now with the mucus in my head. You know, I looked in my journal and it was like 10 days ago when it started and it feels like it's cement. It just doesn't seem to move. It, uh, I feel like I could cement buildings together with the stuff in my head. It could be useful if I could just get it out of my head. Uh. You know, and we do this again with anything. It can be really subtle, or it can be so gross, like my, my nose. I thought of a just a full body transplant might be helpful. <laughs> and people mentioned today there was that feeling. Well, maybe sitting six weeks would have been just right. <laughs> 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 it's a subtle thought. <laughs> or, I could kill that person. You know, that's more gross. But it's still the same thing. It's not wanting. It takes so many forms. And remembering that the way that this aversion and attachment uh, takes form is our teacher. And that's so hard. When we're identified with it, it's so hard to see 
that that's our teacher in this moment. Whenever we're having aversion to somebody, or whenever we're having aversion to something like pain in the body, that's teaching us how to work with aversion. Whenever we're attached to something, whenever we're wanting someone or something, that's teaching us how to work with attachment. When we come out of it and we see that, it's so clear. When we're locked into it, it's, it's, it's entangled and it's so painful. Anywhere where we're not free, you know, we might come into this retreat and feel like we've had so much experience meditating, <clears throat> but still <clears throat> we're bound to have some difficult emotion come up, or maybe we'll have this kind of general dissatisfaction with our practice. Maybe we'll have storms of rage. Uh, the, the variety of experience for each person is very unique. It can be like a light rain or a blizzard. Um, whatever it is, it's possible to be mindful. At some point, mindfulness will happen. And that's when we can open to the experience and let it move. If, we, if we're not willing to experience something, it won't move. Learning to let whatever is happening live itself out to come and go is when the attention will feel free again. <clears throat> I read a book last year that had uh, each chapter began with a description of a different knot from the Ashley Book of Knots. Uh, and they're the knots that were used in the old time sailing rigs. And there was a knot that I particularly liked called the hairy devil that I find is really helpful to remember when we're practicing. And the description of the hairy devil is to untangle a snarl, loosen all jams or knots, and open a hole through the mass at the point where the longest end leaves the snarl. Then proceed to roll or wind the end out through the center. It's important. Then proceed to roll or wind the end out through the center exactly as a stocking is rolled. Keep the snarl open and loose. Keep the snarl open and loose at all times and do not pull on the end. Permit it to unfold itself. You know, that's the whole practice. Keep the snarl, keep the tangle open and loose at all times and do not pull on the end. Permit it to unfold itself. <laughs> if you look at what we do with the knots, we just get in there and we just, it's like trying to undo a knot and we're just tightening it and tightening it and getting all like tangled up. And this is such a nice way to describe that it's really getting out of the way that works. It's just letting, backing off and let it untangle itself. And we can do this with attachment, aversion, delusion. Can we let them unfold themselves?
we live in such a world of change, you know, the human world or the world itself, whether we're human or not, uh, is a very vulnerable world. And our defense system is these tangles. You know, aversion, attachment, and delusion is a security system. It's a defense system that we've developed and have helped us survive and have worked for us. Uh, When we come and retreat, we start to see that it doesn't work so well after all. You know, that there's a lot of suffering in it. This reactive mind, this defense system, we find out is very fragile. And it doesn't protect us so well. So the predicament is that we tend to want to get rid of this defense system rather than to understand it. Rather than to just see it clearly and let it unfold itself. Our system doesn't feel safe if we start getting in there and making more knots. It's just like if you had a flower bud and you started to pull the petals open. Pulling the petals open, a flower will die. And it's the same with us. If we start to try to you know, throw out the defense system, we feel less and less safe, and then there's less and less freedom. Uh, so the art, there's an art to meditation. There's a real art to letting these um, tangles surface and then to just look at them. Oh, my good friend, aversion. Oh, my best friend, attachment. And not that that, it's the attitude that I'm talking about. It's not your best friend in that you don't want to make friends for life. Um, <laughs> it's more that you have that attitude toward it that um, it's been your friend and maybe you don't need this friend as much as you used to need it. The mindfulness replaces the aversion. The mindfulness replaces the attachment as a defense system, as a security system. When we're in on retreat, I think it's quite interesting to watch that range of the kinds of knots. You know, there are the very, very light knots. And they're knots that are like in a shoelace where you can just, it just pretty much, you see it, it unfolds itself, and it feels like um, so freeing and clear what happened. And then there are the hairy devils, you know, the deep, (laughs) snarled up, tight, you know, unbearably tight karmic knots. And it's important to remember that they're both kinds of knots the same attitude of letting them unfold themselves work. So I'd like to give an example of both kinds that I've seen in myself recently. I noticed uh, this winter that when you know my husband Steve wasn't around that much and there are certain things that I tend to think that one should only do with other people and not by oneself. So there's certain things that are okay to do by yourself and certain things not. And so I had this, I, this was not something that conscious with me until I started to try to do these things by myself. So going to the movies by yourself, mm, going out to dinner by yourself, mm, 
you know, what, what are the things that we feel comfortable doing and what don't we? Uh, and the one that was really hard for me was going out and listening to music by myself. Uh, and I noticed that I really wanted to do it, but I had this uh, feeling of contraction around it. But this wasn't like a hard, deep knot. It felt like something that I could work with. Um, so I decided to go down to Waikiki to hear this uh, man play music that I like to hear a lot. He's one of my favorites. And my friends don't seem to like him like I do, so I can't talk any of them into going with me. <laughs> so I started down, and I could feel myself already start to tighten around this experience. And going through into Waikiki isn't my favorite thing anyway. And it's, you know, in this huge shopping area, and then it's a bar, and you have to go. It's an outside place, but it's, it's not sort of my scene, really. Uh, but I like the music. <laughs> So I watched myself going through this whole huge shopping complex, and it was totally okay to be alone. Shopping, okay, you know. <laughs> shopping, you can do alone. This is all in my mind, of course. So I watched myself go through the whole shopping area, and I got to this one spot, really. It was literally one line. And I walked over that spot, and it wasn't okay to be alone. It was like... This was the outside bar area, and the people listening to music. And I got there, and it was like, whoa, you know, this isn't okay. And I backed up one step, and it was okay. It was incredible to watch that spot. So it was so not okay, I decided to go back and pretend I was shopping, <laughs> just to kind of recover from that, you know, one step. So I went back, and I acted like I was shopping, and it was like, Okay, you know, <laughs> we'll try this again. And I went over the spot, and I was okay, and I was walking along, and I was trying to find a seat, and it was amazing. I was just starting to kind of sweat, and, you know, I felt really uncomfortable. But I didn't know quite what was the knot was. I just knew I was uncomfortable. And I sat down, my heart was kind of pounding, and I looked around, you know, and I know this guy, and he looked at me, and I thought, oh, he's going to think I don't have any friends. You know, and that was, you know, it's like, and I looked around and I thought, everyone's thinking I don't have any <laughs> Nobody loves me. <laughs> and it was just, that was the knot. You know, and it was, it was not a huge knot. I could open to it, but it was so interesting to feel that ability in some ways to be free with it, to play with it, uh, to watch it, to let it unfold. And after a few minutes, I felt fine. And it was pretty simple but really interesting to play that, just that one step <laughs> was not okay. And to watch myself just gradually let it be okay. So that was an easy one. <laughs> this is more, this is a kind of example of both an easy and difficult. It moved from easy to difficult. When I went to this weightlifting class for the first time, it was uh, on the water. And this woman has all this equipment uh, in her house, which is on the water in this beautiful setting. And I went into the class, and it was just filled with people that they're not like in my world. You know, they're really just totally into bodybuilding and competing bodybuilding. And I just looked around and I went to the bathroom, <laughs> and I was in the bathroom, and I was like, I 
hate doing something new. I hate doing something new. I hate doing something new. It was just I had so much aversion to experiencing, you know, going through something new. And again, that was how it started, kind of, uh, I hate this. Why am I doing this? Who cares about my body? <laughs> I don't care if it's strong. And uh, so then I, I composed myself. <laughs> Went out into the place where everybody was, and the teacher said, let's not do weightlifting today. Let's go out kayaking. You know, and it, it was like I had just prepared myself to try to get into weightlifting. And so the thing that is like my most dreaded fear is going out kayaking, you know, through the water. It was like I couldn't believe my... I went all through that place of getting totally okay with being afraid to just petrified. So we walk out, and I, I'm, I'm trying to get her attention, like, no, 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 <laughs> see, see you tomorrow. <laughs> I signed up for weightlifting, not kayaking. You know, so I'm standing out there on the sand, and, and everybody's getting in the boats, and so <laughs> I started having this conversation with her, and what's going through my mind is, you know, fear of death, <laughs> fear of the waves, just terror. Uh, and I always have this image when I get out in the water in, in Hawaii that I'm going to blow to Japan. You know, that, you know there's 3,000 miles, really, there's 3,000 miles of water around Hawaii. It's just this teeny, tiny little island in the middle of this huge body of water. And I'm really afraid of, you know, drowning. <laughs> so <clears throat> we're out in the sand and everybody's getting in the boats. And so I started telling her, you know, this is, you know, I'm really afraid. And then I said, my husband has tried this with me three times, and I have these major panic attacks. I'm really afraid of the waves. And so she said, it was really great, she said, your husband doesn't have beginner's mind. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> I thought if he could have only heard that. <laughs> your husband doesn't have beginner's mind. I have beginner's mind. And then she said the fatal words. She said, trust me. <laughs> and whenever I hear trust me, I, I like get even tighter, you know, because it's not that I don't trust my husband, and it's not that I don't trust this woman. I don't trust those waves, you know. <laughs> I don't trust those waves, and I don't trust myself in those waves. So she kept saying, trust me. <laughs> And so I, I decided to just, she started saying how, you know, she learned years, you know, recently and that she's really good at teaching people and look out there, the waves aren't that big today and, and they weren't and we can just get through this little channel and you'll be okay. So I decided to do it. I got through the channel. I was terrified, but I got through that and I was feeling pretty good and we're going along. And I was like Siamese twins with her, you know, in her boat. It was like, <laughs> I was practically holding onto her boat. And we went out, and we went out, and we went out, and we went out. And the water gets deeper and deeper, and the wind starts to blow, and I think, Japan, Japan. <laughs> and then I said, you know, I kept breathing deep. Uh, <laughs> and then she said, look, Michelle, there's a whale. And it was really like from here to that door, you know, right there. Uh, and so everybody gets all excited, and I didn't get excited. I got more terrified. Uh, and she said, um, gee, the other day I was out here, and a whale came up right next to the boat. 
and I touched the whale. You know, and it's like my mind just went total panic. It's like 70,000 pounds. The whales weigh 70,000 pounds. I weigh 105 pounds. And I thought, and, I, and everyone's looking out there, and I'm like, <laughs> I started back paddling. <laughs> I said, I'm out of here. <laughs> Goodbye. I do not want to touch a whale. <laughs> I really like watching whales from the shore. And I just headed back. And I went through that horrible wave break, and I went on shore, and it was like, <sighs> I was so happy. Uh, <laughs> and it was so interesting, because I would watch myself go through that deep knot of fear. I mean, it's not, this is not a little knot. It's huge. It's really the fear of death. You know, I don't imagine touching a whale and having, like, a really interconnected, you know, union with all life. I feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> and it's just, it's so interesting to watch that relationship to fear. Um, the day after, I had a really good feeling about that day. Uh, and I think that any kind of deep karmic knot, and I'll describe some of them that might happen for you, it could be feeling worthless or it could be the fear of abandonment. You know, the, this is not light. It's usually our Achilles heel. It could be the fear of anger or the fear of rejection or the desire for approval, the desire to be seen or understood, the desire to feel special. All of them, the way we need to work with them is not to try to fix them or to somehow work them out. It's really all around learning how to experience them. I was reading a book recently and it said, what we fear most, we've already experienced. You know, it's like, um, if you look really closely at the fear of rejection, for example, it's usually because somewhere back, way back, we were rejected at, a, at an age that was really unbearable. Or whatever it is, it's often something for me, I drowned at my birth. You know, that's what happened. I died. And that, that sense of, of the water and, and the, like being in the womb is the same thing. There's that incredible fear. I already went through that once in my lifetime, uh, but I didn't do it very consciously or, or with an openness. So slowly, I'm starting to learn to go through that. Very slowly. It's untangling itself, but I don't push it. And whatever it is, it could be um, the fear of anger. It can... If we have an Achilles heel, usually if we look at it rationally, we'll tend to minimize it. But that um, resistance to it, there's a reason for it. And it's helpful to have that relationship again, that attitude of letting the knot unfold itself. <clears throat> I find with this particular kind of knot, that the most important thing is patience <clears throat> and gentleness. There's a quotation 
from the Tao Te Ching that says, do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? Do you have the patience to let your own mud settle until the water is clear? To remain unmoving, just let it unfold itself. It's so beautiful. There's a great American story called The Wizard of Oz. And I saw it the other night with some um, people here. It was interesting to watch it again as a kind of adult. <laughs> and if you, if you know the story, for those of you who don't, the, um, there's a tin man in the story that wanted a heart. And then there's a lion in the story that wants courage. And there's a scarecrow or a straw man that wants a brain. And then Dorothy wants a home. She wants to go home. And they all four of them uh, come together. And they're trying to journey to this wise man in the Emerald City of Oz uh, to find out how they can get a heart, courage, a brain, and a home. Uh, and cert- they go through this whole journey of facing all these dangers, witches, death. Uh, and they're searching for what they think they don't have. And it's very similar to us where we have this security system that doesn't work. Um, but actually, there's a deeper wisdom in us that's natural. It's this awareness. It's just learning. It's practicing. It's learning to access it. So in the process of making this journey, this uh, wise man points out to them, when they get to them, that they already have it. That the, the tin man already has a heart. The straw man already has a brain. The lion already has courage. And Dorothy already has a home. Uh, it's very similar with this aversion, the attachment, the delusion, the tangles. If we have patience and we let them unfold, we start developing mindfulness and metta and compassion. And in the process of them becoming visible, it's like the very process of going through this journey and facing over and over again the fear, facing over and over again the, the attachment, facing over and over again whatever it is that's hard for you. Uh, that's what's actually liberating you. It's, it's, an, it's, it's like it's a breathtaking process. The phrase in the loving-kindness practice, may I or may you be safe and protected from inner and outer harm, that being safe and protected, you know, that it's that change in the defense system from aversion, attachment, delusion to wisdom and metta. The inner harm are the tangles. And so when you wish yourself or you wish somebody else to be safe and protected from inner and outer harm, it's an incredible deep freedom 
that you're wishing for somebody. You know, you're wishing this um, safety from attachment, safety from aversion, safety from delusion. It's an incredible deep thing that we're doing here. You know, it's, it's, it's about freedom. And it's an incredible deep wish that we wish for someone or ourselves. Who can untangle these tangles? You know, we all can do it. We're all doing it. And it's an incredible, um, worthy journey. I'd like to end with a <clears throat> quotation from Thomas Merton. The reality that is present to us and in us, call it being, silence. And the simple fact that by being attentive, by learning to listen, <clears throat> or recovering the natural capacity to listen, we can find ourselves engulfed in such happiness that it cannot be explained. The happiness of being at one with everything in that hidden ground of care for which there can be no explanations. May we all grow in grace and peace and not neglect the silence that is printed in the center of our being. It will, <clears throat> it will not fail us. Not neglect the silence that is printed in the center of our being. That silence is when the reactive mind isn't happening. It's the, the silence of peace and freedom. Let's sit for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.